Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the firearm deer season, Split Rock Lighthouse, a museum of failure opens up at the Mall of America, and the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald remembered. But first, COVID continues to be near the top of many Minnesotans' minds as the Delta variant surges, even as more of us are getting vaccinated. It's something that State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm addressed this week. We've been talking about the Delta wave since midsummer, but right now we find ourselves in a really, truly alarming spice spike in cases in more recent days. Our exhausted healthcare workers and our exhausted public health workers continue their truly heroic efforts to protect Minnesotans. But every day now, we're seeing dozens of Minnesotans dying from an illness that they didn't have to get. And that is uh, beyond heartbreaking for all of us doing this work. The tragedy of this current spike in cases is that more than ever, we have the tools and the knowledge to minimize the impact of this virus. But a sizable number of people here in Minnesota and in other states are not using those tools. Some because they mistakenly think COVID is over or it's no big deal, or some because they're just tired of it, done with COVID, as we say, and some because they have fallen victim to misinformation. So many of these cases, especially the hospitalizations and deaths, could be prevented if more people used those tools, by which we mean vaccination, masking in public, staying home when sick, and all of those mitigations that have served us well over the last two years. Choosing not to use those tools has a cost. Sometimes it's a cost the individual pays themselves, but often it's a cost that that individual passes along to someone else around them or someone they will never know, uh, unknowingly uh, passing the virus, uh, particularly as we have talked so often about asymptomatic transmission. This spike is bad, it's scary, but it would be so much worse, especially with many, many more hospitalizations and deaths, Would it would be so much worse if it weren't for the fact that most Minnesotans now do have the protection of the vaccine. But many people, close to 40% of our state, are still not protected. We need all Minnesotans to recognize the fact that in a pandemic storm like this one, caused by the Delta variant, individual decisions have implications. Implications not only for the person, but for their families, their communities, and in fact, the entire state. Also this week, the state health department's Chris Ayersman gave some guidance as we head into the holiday season. As we come up on the end of the year holidays, we're finding ourselves, as the commissioner said, at a really difficult point in the pandemic. Although vaccination numbers continue to rise and the recent authorization of vaccinations for kids 5 to 11 is encouraging, the highly contagious Delta variant is driving Minnesota's COVID case numbers to an alarmingly high level at the same time. Our hospitals remain crowded and there are still many of our fellow Minnesotans who do not have vaccine protection. So with that in mind, that not all the news is good news, we are encouraging all Minnesotans to think carefully about their holiday plans. CDC officials recently updated their holiday guidance to reflect the changed landscape that we find ourselves in. And I think the good news is that there are ways to enjoy holiday traditions while still protecting your health and the health of others around you. 
The updated CDC guidance is available online at cdc.gov. And it reflects the fact that multiple generations tend to get together to celebrate the holidays. And the best way to minimize COVID-19 risk and keep your family and friends safer is to get vaccinated if you're eligible. Remember, your vaccine protects you and it protects those around you, especially those under age five who are not yet eligible to get the vaccine. We have continued to promote a layered mitigation theme and CDC's guidance does continue to do that as well. They also emphasize some other protective measures, including well-fitting masks over your nose and mouth if you are in public indoor settings, if you are not fully vaccinated, and even if you are fully vaccinated, if you're in a community that's experiencing substantial or high levels of COVID transmission. And that is all of Minnesota at this point. Um, you wanna keep in mind that outdoors is safer than indoors. Um, you wanna avoid crowded, poorly ventilated spaces. And certainly if you are sick or having symptoms, do not host or attend a gathering and get tested if you have symptoms of COVID-19 or have a close contact with someone who has COVID-19. If you're considering traveling for a holiday event, visit CDC's travel page to help you decide what's best for you and your family. CDC still recommends delaying travel until you're fully vaccinated. The CDC site has a useful set of testing recommendations for those who are planning to travel. Given the COVID blizzard that's hitting us in Minnesota, it's a really good idea to wear a mask even if you're fully vaccinated. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person, and if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The second full weekend of the firearms deer season is underway. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Thousands of hunters are expected to hit the woods again this weekend, hoping to fill their deer tag. Joining me today is DNR Commissioner Sarah Stroman and Todd Froberg, DNR Acting Big Game Coordinator. Sarah, I'm going to start with you. I know the firearms deer season is a big boost in the arm for Minnesota businesses all across the state. Yeah, absolutely. When you have, you know, that many people who are out um, doing an activity on, on a specific weekend, it's really um, a boost, right, to the, the communities where people are engaging in that activity. 
Um, many folks travel away from home and um, to their favorite hunting spot, to their hunting camp. They gather with friends and family. Uh, it's an opportunity to, you know, buy groceries and, and uh, patronize restaurants and gas stations and all those kinds of things. So it's something that communities all across the state of Minnesota really look forward to welcoming Minnesota's deer hunters this time of year. I've been visiting with DNR Commissioner Sarah Stroman. Joining me now is the DNR's Acting Big Game Coordinator, Todd Froberg. Todd, how did last weekend's opener go? I understand harvest is down a bit. Do you think the warmer temperatures played a role? Yeah, it was a a little warmer than average, but I would say that it it wasn't outrageous. I mean, um, staff were doing CWD sampling, and it was a a beautiful weekend to, to sit there and wait for deer to come in, but probably not as ideal for deer hunters in the stand um harvest was a little bit down compared to last year about 11 percent so um it's kind of somewhat surprising um i guess based on license sales license sales were only down one percent so um it was a pretty consistent consistent with with last year for license sales but harvest was so it seems to me you're a little puzzled on the lower harvest numbers yeah i mean i i to be honest i'm i'm pretty surprised um like we say the weather was a little bit above average or above average but um i wouldn't say it was you know outrageous like we've seen some some weather in the in the last few years that were even higher than that like it's at 75 degrees for opening weekend and um it's it's still below um harvest is still below that um crop harvest is ahead of schedule um there wasn't harsh winters uh last year so we should have had pretty good deer numbers and in good opportunity. So I'm a little bit surprised, but um, maybe the the bump from, or I guess the decline from last year was that, that COVID bump that realized from just about everything within, um, you know, w- wildlife license sales and harvest, um, maybe people were, were stuck in the deer stand without anything else to do last year. So maybe that was a, a, a reason. But other than that, I, I'm I'm kind of surprised. Not that you have a magic eight ball or anything, but are you expecting a strong hunt this weekend? Well, you know, the majority of our, our deer are harvested on opening weekend and the majority of hunters um, hunt on opening weekend, put the most effort in. But I would suspect that we should probably get close to leveling out harvest-wise. So there there should be a good number of people in. I know there's a somewhat of a cold front coming in and a storm. So depending on where that storm tracks may get some hunters excited about um, some deer movement and, um, you know, kind of be better, better weather for, for sitting in the stand. Thanks again to both of my guests, DNR Commissioner Sarah Stroman and Todd Froberg, DNR Acting Big Game Coordinator. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha, and happy hunting. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This week in Minnesota, two beacons of hope, past and future, on the north shore of the greatest lake in the world. Compassionate and sheltering God, as we mark a milestone in the construction of St. Mary's, may we remember the words of your faithful servant, St. Benedict, that care of the sick must rank above and before all else so that they may truly be served as Christ. Sister Beverly Rahway, prioress of St. Scholastica Monastery, as dignitaries this week marked the topping out, the raising of the final structural steel beam. 
for Essentia Health's new $900 million medical campus at the eastern edge of downtown Duluth. Grant that in this new hospital, as we lay this last beam, the physicians and staff will receive with kindness all of the patients who are confined here and will tend to them with their skills and their deep care. You've certainly heard of a room with a view. Well, we confirmed with Dr. Robert Erickson, physician lead on the project. Some of the patient rooms in the hospital to be completed here over the next couple of years will look out over Lake Superior. Is that correct? That's correct. As you can see behind me, all the patient rooms will be single patient rooms. That's a hallmark of our design. Not only does it improve patient experience, but it it reduces the infection risk when you just have one patient. It also enhances the interaction of the family with the caregivers. And yes, every room will have a have a window uh, out overlooking Lake Superior or the wonderful city of Duluth or up the North Shore. Mayor Emily Larson said she knows Duluthians are behind the project. And the reason I know is because I do not get any complaints about these road closures. And I'm used to getting a few street complaints. Lord God, we pray blessings upon this beam today. And up it went on the crane to its final place high over the streets of Duluth and the waves of Lake Superior. For those of you who stand here as laborers, someday your children and your children's children are going to go past this structure and they're going to say, my dad or my grandpa or my great-grandpa built that, or my grandma or my great-grandma or my great-great-grandma built that. For generations to come, you will be remembered. It was with your hands and with your labor that this great monument was built as a witness to God's healing power. The COVID pandemic sparked executive orders by Governor Tim Walz that temporarily halted activity in a number of sectors, but not on the construction of Essentia's new medical campus in Duluth. This project is a win for Minnesotans in the city of Duluth and the Arrowhead region. From healthcare professionals to construction workers, frontline workers at Essentia Health have given their all to ensure Minnesotans in every community, from every walk of life, have a fair and equitable access to health care that they deserve. Duluth Mayor Larson said during stay-at-home orders early on in the pandemic, to drive by and to see this activity, to see the lights of the cranes, to see the work going on, to see that this in and of itself is a lighthouse of hope. And just over one day later, 47 miles north and east on Highway 61 as the sun set on the shore of Lake Superior. When a vessel and all hands are lost, such as the Fitzgerald on this date 46 years ago today, the ceremony is then performed for the entire crew, usually ashore. This is referred to as the muster of the last watch. It was in person once again at Split Rock Lighthouse, where just under a thousand turned out to remember the 29 crew members who perished when one of the largest vessels in the Great Lakes fleet went to the bottom of Lake Superior off Michigan's Whitefish Point in a vicious gale on the 10th of November, 1975. An air and sea search is continuing for possible survivors of the Edmund Fitzgerald, a 729-foot oar carrier, which apparently broke apart and sunk last night on Lake Superior. And 46 years later, as again a gentle fall suddenly turned toward winter, a stiff wind off that same Lake Superior pushed the heat away from those huddled above the shore and blew away some of the notes as the Navy hymn honored the dead.
And then, it was time. We will now muster the last watch of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Michael E. Armagos, third mate. Frederick J. Beecher, porter. Thomas Benson Euler. The roll of the dead continued, which inevitably included the Fitzgerald's commanding officer. Captain Ernest M. McSorley, master. And there also, beneath the beacon soon to be lit at Split Rock, those who lost loved ones all those years ago. Ringing the bell for John D. Simmons, wheelsman, is his great-granddaughter, Adrian Miller. Ringing the bell for Blaine H. Wilhelm, Euler, is his daughter, Candace McAveney. And a final toll for all those sailors lost on all the Great Lakes. And we'll hear a little bit more about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald from MN's Bill Warner a little later in the program. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Museum of Failure is into its second week on display at the Mall of America. Reporter J.W. Cox discussed the aim of the unorthodox museum with its curator at the start of the exhibit's first U.S. tour. If at first you don't succeed, try again. Back to the drawing board. Keep punching. Fail forward. All phrases, Scott, that the Museum of Failure highlights in a whole new way. For Dr. Samuel West, his specialty curated museum is about championing the mistakes, learning, and perseverance that generally precedes the triumph. It's fun to, to see these failed uh, products and services, but the main purpose of the museum is to drive home the point that if we want progress and innovation, we have to accept failure. You can't have one without the other. We take a lot of the technology innovations around us for granted, not realizing that you know, there's thousands of failures that led up to these successful uh, innovations that we use every day. 
West got the idea for his museum from another universal source of angst and failure. Strangely enough, it started off with me visiting another museum. I'm not much of a museum person. I visited a museum on broken relationships. And I thought, that's such a weird museum about broken relationships. And I, and I thought, if they can do that, I can open a museum of failure. For people who attend the museum during its run, they will get to see failures of every variety. On the one hand, we have some fun, entertaining failures, like we have the rejuvenique, the, the face mask sort of beauty treatment that, that, that looks like something out of a horror film, and it shocks your face uh, with electricity. Um, it looks crazy, it is crazy, and definitely belongs in the Museum of Failure. Another fun one would be the hula chair. As ridiculous as it sounds, it's a chair that the, <laughs> the seat sort of rotates. So you can sit down and do the hula dance at work to exercise your thorax. On the serious note of, 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 the, of, the, of the museum, we have the, the big sort of commercial failures, such as the, the Sony Betamax. And why did VHS win and Betamax fail? That's one of the um, uh, objects at the museum. And on a sad note, uh, there's darts, uh, the lawn darts from the 70s. These are oversized darts that were popular as a lawn game, and you would get metal spikes on them. And so you'd throw them and try to hit, you know, throw them in, into a circle. The sad thing is that over thousands of kids got hurt and several died. Um, that's innovation that caught that failure that caused suffering and death. Um, so there's 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 both the funny ones and the serious ones. This is the first time for the museum on U.S. soil, but West says global audiences on prior tours have been receptive to this message of his museum. To me, when they actually understand that, okay, this was fun, but it, that they actually realize that um, if these big guys, is Microsoft and um, Nokia and Google and uh, Apple, if these big boys, the big guys, if they can fail, and they're huge, rich multinationals, if they can fail, then you too, as an individual, can fail. Uh, you, it's worth, you know, taking, thinking boldly and taking bold steps and meaningful risks um, and taking, accepting failure. If they can fail, so can we. It's sort of a liberation uh, moment. West is curious to learn more about how Americans in the six regions he will visit view and respond to failure. Each region has a different sort of relationship to failure. So in California, especially in Northern California, there's a fail forward mentality. It's almost cool to fail. And then as you move uh, towards Europe and definitely towards Asia, there's more conflict involved with failure and embarrassment. Um, I'm not sure what it's like in Minnesota. There are some great companies. Uh, 3M is based in Minnesota, which has done spectacularly well based on the mission of mistakes and failure. Um, and I, I'm, yeah, I, I don't know what to expect, but I'm curious. And of course, there's at least one memorable failure that will strike right at Minnesota's hockey-loving heart. The Fox tracks, the glowing hockey puck uh, from 96 to 98. And the idea was to you know, with infrared uh, lights in the hockey puck to make it glow on TV. And uh, it was short-lived. You know, you applaud Fox for trying. They, they tested something. It didn't work out, and that's okay. If they don't continually test new technology or new ways of doing things, um, there will be no progress. So 
we can on the one hand laugh at it and say, ah, oh, Foxtrot was a, a stupid thing. It was a gimmick. That's, that's one side of the truth. The other side is that without that, we wouldn't have any other progress either. So that's the destigmatized failure. Museum of Failure, hoping for a successful run now through January 22nd at the Mall of America. Scott, back to you. And switching gears a bit as we wrap up this week's program, MN's Bill Werner has been thinking about the Edmund Fitzgerald 46 years after that great ship went to the bottom of Lake Superior, and as usual, his mind is wandering a bit off the beaten path. A strange dream came to me in the early morning hours after I had spent part of the previous day watching huge ships haul their cargoes out of the Duluth Harbor, behemoths plying their trade out into the vast waters of Lake Superior. I think what prompted my nocturnal musings was a memory of a visit years ago to the Lake Superior Maritime Visitor Center, where they have on display, in a fish tank, I guess, a scale model of the Edmund Fitzgerald, resting in two pieces in its grave at the bottom of the Great Lake, with the water in that tank at the actual level of the lake and scale relative to the size of the ship. It was clear from just looking at that model that if you could somehow glue the two pieces of the real vessel back together and then stand it on end, it would stick above the surface of Lake Superior several hundred feet at the point where all those years ago the big ship sank, taking 29 crew members to their deaths. If only they could have had an elevator to take them up to the surface. Now, I'm not sure how I got from there to here, but here goes. What if we could take all the buildings on the Duluth skyline and the tremendous skyscrapers in Minneapolis, in Chicago, in New York, maybe in all the cities, and gently tip them over and launch them out into the lake, full complement of office workers retained on board, that it would somehow work, that the buildings would actually float, nobody would be hurt, and everyone in the middle of their busy day could take a quick cruise around the area and then gently pull the IDS and the Wells Fargo Tower and the Empire State Building back up ashore and tie up on the rocks. And everybody would climb out the windows onto dry land, onto earth, and have a picnic. The ocean is a desert with its life underground and the perfect disguise above. Under the cities lies a heart made of brown, but the I wonder how many of us who travel at high speed in little metal boxes to huge towers and then are whisked in different metal boxes suspended by cables to great heights above the street where we then spend our days and our years. How it would do many of us good to remember, perhaps, far below the ground, the earth, which still ought to be underfoot. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. As always, thank you, Bill. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. Minnesota.